Hello, and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and this episode is the first half of a long-awaited discussion about the seminal television series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Winston and I have been re-watching the series, and so we have a lot to say about it. So, much like a two-parter on Buffy, I have split this conversation into two episodes. If all goes according to plan, I will release the second half next week, since this episode is coming out a week late itself, so that will get us back on track. Hopefully. Time is all wonky for me right now, and so I really appreciate your patience with me, as our release schedule has been a little irregular these past few months. As with most of our episodes, there are some pretty big spoilers in this one, so if you haven't seen Buffy, you may want to skip this one and go watch the show immediately. I also wanted to give a content warning for this one as we discuss some of the upsetting themes and events that take place in the show, namely physical and sexual violence, abuse, and suicidal thoughts. If these are upsetting for you to hear about, you may want to sit this one out. A huge thank you to all of our patrons, and especially to our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rina Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Caitlin Van Horn, all of whom I would want in my Scooby gang, and to our advanced producer, Michael Beck, who at this point has probably single-handedly stopped several apocalypses. If you would like to join these mystical creatures and get access to all sorts of bonus content for as little as $1 a month, head on over to patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. All right, let's dive right in. Without further ado, here is episode 71, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, part one. It's me and Winston. It's me too. Yay! <laughs> I feel like we need to come up with a, a, a catchier intro, <laughs> but we'll 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 figure that out later. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is something that I kind of can't believe that we haven't done an episode about yet. Um, I think I've like thought about it so many times, but just. We, we haven't done it yet. So, uh, and because we've been recently re-watching this television show, I thought maybe this would be the time to finally talk about Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy! Buffy! <laughs> so, I, so, so, the way I was thinking we could talk about, talk about it, is, Give me some structure, baby. I, I, I'm here for the structure. Just just like a nice uh, Bordeaux. I've got, a, got good structure. There you go. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking we could kind of go through, because, you know, part of what we've been talking about as we've been rewatching the show is how each season is really different. And so I was thinking we could kind of go through and talk about season by season, what the strengths are, what, you know, and I've got some overarching questions, um, and I've got some wine pairings for each season, and I've got some wine pairings for some characters, but I thought maybe through our, through our, you know, riveting discussion, we could come up with some, some pairings for some other characters, and, uh, and that's, that's what I was thinking. How's well, that sound to That you? sounds great to me, but yeah. what if we just start with, like, a baseline, if you've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer... Don't listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, like, basic plot. Oh, well, yeah, we can do that, but, uh, there's gonna be major spoilers in this episode, I think. Um, yeah. so... Yeah, so... 
Go. So, so go watch it. But yeah. yes, the premise of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is uh, there's a girl named Buffy, and she's the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> and she's like 15 she's, when it starts, right? She's 16 in season one. So so, so the, the show, um, you know, created by Joss Whedon, who we've got complicated feelings about now, but he did create some great television, is so, – so this is – the the spinoff to the movie that kind of flopped. Well, um, he wrote the movie. He did write the movie, which was, I didn't realize. I mean, he was obviously he given did, a, but a second chance, which is right, weird. right. And and what I didn't realize is, um, oh, I can't remember which one of the Kazooie brothers uh, it was, but one of them directed it. So they're they're producers on the show. Fran and Rubel Cousy. Yes, yes. Hmm. But I can't remember which one of them, but I think one of them directed the movie and they remained, they, they stuck on and I think they've been producers on like everything Joss Whedon's done. But... Um, so yeah, so, so the basic premise is there's this girl, um, named Buffy Summers. Every and generation. A slayer is born. And so, so the slayer, yes, okay, so there are vampires. Obviously. Obviously. Um, but there's all sorts of other monsters and demons and stuff like that. And, um, and season one starts as kind of, she, well, she has had to move, she and her mom have had to move to Sunnydale, California. Following the events of the film. Right. Because, because she uh, got in big trouble in L.A. And basically they had to move. And her dad's a deadbeat. Yeah. Well, he's just kind of an absent, absent father. More than deadbeat. I don't know if you can... yeah, they're sort of distinction sort of without the same. a difference. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. So so she moves with her mom to Sunnydale and um, and meets a few a few quirky characters. Um, the most important of whom are Giles, who is her watcher. So there's the Watchers Council, and we're gonna get into the Watchers Council. Oh uh, yes, Winston, we will. Winston's got big feelings about the Watchers Council. Big old feelings, I got them. Yeah, um, and then she meets her two best friends, Xander Harris and Willow Rosenberg. Um, played so so Buffy is Sarah Michelle Gellar, obviously. Willow is Allison Hannigan, and Xander is poor Nicholas Brendan, who um, had oh. a bit of a rough time later. Hope you're doing on. okay, Nicholas. Hope you're doing okay. But so yeah, we so when we did we we're now in the midst of our most recent rewatch and we're on to season seven. We haven't finished it yet, but we're in the last season now. But we skipped season one in this rewatch. And we almost always do. Well, you often you often like to skip the first seasons of things when we rewatch them. Buffy has a lot better bearings, I think, on it than most shows yeah, in I the first season. So I think so. It's it's a little different. It's more like very um cut and dry not cut and dry, but it's like very um formulaic, like monster of the week kind of episodes until the end. Right. With yeah. some exceptions, with some exceptions. But it's already got its like witty banter and uh yeah. and its kind of style. But yeah, so so we didn't we didn't rewatch that one recently, so I can, I don't remember. I mean, I remember obviously season 1, but you know, when you I imagine if we had rewatched this, the way that I would feel about season 1 is like how I felt about certain wines when I was first getting into wine. Do elaborate. Yes, yes. Um, because it's super fun. It's it's super fun. It's really well done. I mean, obviously it's dated and we'll get into the problematic things 
about Buffy. Not her, not the character of Buffy, but but the show. And, um, but but I was thinking about it as, you know, like, I feel like when people are first getting into wine, like, they, they kind of gravitate towards certain, certain wines. Um, and I feel like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is one of those. Hmm. It's like, because... I mean, it's for a few reasons. I mean, it's pretty approachable. It's very quaffable. Um, some people really don't like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I am not one of those people. I like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, there's definitely varying qualities of them. But but generally speaking, uh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand is kind of your classic citrusy. Um, it, it's known especially for having a little bit more of a kind of fruity grapefruit characteristic to it. Ooh, that kind of which, tartness. Yeah, Almost yeah. a little bitter even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has a little bit of that. And so that's that's one that a lot of people get into. I also think it's one that people get into not just because it's like an easy drinking one, but it's, it's usually pretty reliable in its quality and it's usually pretty inexpensive. So I think those are those are two big things when you're like first getting into wine. You're not gonna like want to spend a lot of money on something that you don't know if it's gonna no. be good or not. So, um, but for eleven dollars, you can exactly. probably find a good exactly New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Totally, totally. Um, and so and so that's that's kind of what I was thinking for Buffy season one because I still love New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I do a, a lot of my my. Uh, fellows in the wine industry would uh would probably turn up their nose at me for saying that because they a lot a lot of people look down on New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc as like cheap and not well made and and to that I say there is a time and place for every Sauvignon Blanc Hmm. sorry we went to paradise (laughs) where they filmed Lord of the Rings and grew some grapes on volcanic soil exactly well, there's great, there's great all sorts of wine from from New Zealand, but the Sauvignon Blanc is what it's known best for because it produces your, the most your, of it. Your yellowtails or whatever. Yeah, well, that's Australia. Oh, that's but, Australia. That's yeah, right. but um, but yes, essentially. Um, but there's like you know, yeah, sure, there's really cheap Sauvignon Blanc, but there's really good ones too coming out of there. So I think um, I think that that's a really uh, I think that's a good pairing for season 1 of Buffy because it's like you're just getting into it and it's really fun and if you go back and rewatch it you're going to be like, "Oh wow, uh, the show grew up so much since then and like I my feelings have changed so much about like all these characters and everything since then, but I still love it. Like I still enjoy it." That's that's how I feel about it personally. Yeah. I mean, my introduction to wine came from my dad. Mm. Um, not necessarily him giving me wine, but uh, I would go and eat with him and my stepmom, and they'd be like, "All right, I'd like one vodka gimlet," and then they'd be like, ah, "I want a Pinot Grigio." Oh, that's right. Yeah, Pinot Grigio is you your get a bottle for like twenty-five dollars yep. because they're not. They're not very expensive yeah. or complex, but I was like, oh, wine is like alcoholic grape juice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I would say I would say you, you, you could say that about, you could say Pinot Grigio uh, for Buffy season one, too. I personally mm. am just a little bit more partial to, like, the cheap New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc rather than the cheap Pinot Grigio. Um, because, anyway, that's just my personal taste. But, Fair enough. But but to each to each their own. But that reminds me, talking about your first introduction to wine. What is what was uh, your first introduction to Buffy? What was when did you first see it? 
Okay, so I watched Buffy contemporaneously mm. when it was in its first, second, and part of its third season. Interesting. So my parents had pretty much already separated by the mm-hmm. time I was 11. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of consoled myself with WB. I watched WB. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was one of those privileged kids that had a TV in their room mm-hmm. in both my parents' little apartments. And so I would come home and I would watch Living Single, mm-hmm. Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Sister, Sister. Mm-hmm. And then it would be like the primetime WB lineup. So right. Mondays it was Seventh Heaven. Tuesdays it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. And then I think possibly uh, Hercules. And then Thursdays oh, wow. was Xena Warrior Princess. Those days. And that led to a thing where like I rediscovered Buffy my sophomore junior year of high school because uh-huh. there was like a whole Buffy watching group oh, where like fun. every Wednesday we'd come and watch two or three episodes oh of Buffy. Oh my god, that's so fun. I wanted to start a Buffy watching group. Yeah, it's it like was a dope. book club, but better. But then I tried to, <laughs> I tried to, I was like, well, if Buffy's still good, surely Hercules and Xena are still good. And I bought season three of Xena and I was like, oh. Does not hold up. <laughs> oh no, this is not the same quality at all. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. But, um, I, but I, I got back into Buffy in high school and I, bottles of, uh, Two Buck Chuck may have been involved. Hey, I think that's fair. Uh, uh, as might have fair. been, not then decriminalized marijuana, but mm-hmm. I, there was a weekly Buffy viewing group where we'd watch at least two, sometimes three episodes of Buffy. That's awesome. And it got me right back into it. And I think I started, like I joined the group, I think, in mm-hmm. the middle of season one. Mm-hmm. So I went back and viewed those yeah. uh, by borrowing VHS cassettes. I know. Tapes. Can you remember? Can you imagine? <laughs> and then I caught up and I was like, oh, this is actually awesome. This is amazing. Because I was also watching Degrassi at that time, which, you know, WPN or WGN would air right at that, like, you should be in bed, but you're uh-huh. still doing your homework <laughs> yep, time yep, of like yep. 10 to midnight. Yep, yep, <laughs> you know? yep. Um, well, I actually came to Buffy relatively late. Like I had, I had seen episodes, scattered episodes here and there of it. Um, and Angel too, I had seen scattered episodes here and there. Um, but I didn't fully watch through Buffy until I think it was the summer after my freshman year of college. And I think it was because I, I actually, funnily enough, I got into Firefly. So I've, Fell in love with Firefly, which we'll definitely have to do a Firefly episode at some point. For sure. Um, but but then I I was so into it, and there obviously there's so little of it, and so I obviously had to get into Buffy. And I remember um, this is going to be a theme uh, that I I may or may not have streamed it somewhat, you know. Not entirely legally. Uh, we used to the, steal TV yeah, yeah, shows. Yeah, we kids. did. We did. Let's we did. Just, it was just, a thing. Let's just put it that was, out it there. Was, it was more normal. Before you could subscribe yeah, to, to seven stre- or eight different sub- streaming services, yeah. you just which, had to steal way, TV. Which, by the way, we do. We, yeah, we, we do. We pay. We pay. Um, but so... <laughs> but we're old now. We don't have the capacity to just yeah. click X on all the... Various ads. I know. And fake oh my ads god. And... Oh my god. But yes. So so I remember watching. I think at least through season 
three, maybe through season four. I think it was while I was, I remember this so clearly, because I would go to my dad's on, my dad's on vacation. And so I would stay up till like four or five in the Where's morning. Where's your dad's? That's Boston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was back when he lived in Dorchester. But so... So, yeah, so I'd go spend time with my dad, and my brother and I both would, like, stay up till 4 or 5 in the morning, each in our separate rooms, like, not spending time together, God forbid. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then we'd get up at, like, I don't know, 1 or something, like, noon or 1. And so my poor dad was like, I never get to see these kids. But so anyway, um, I think that's what I was doing, and I, would, I would just got, like, so into Buffy and was just binging it. And at that time, did you have, like, DVD sets of it? No. That, well, well I'm getting to that. I'm getting to okay. that. But remember, this was when I illegally streamed it. Um, right. The first, the first, I think, well, there were a couple of episodes that I bought on iTunes because that was the only other option at, the, at that point besides buying the DVDs was you could buy it on iTunes and watch it on iTunes. So I think I did that for some of it, but I watched through at least season three or season four. And then um, I went to Greenwood, which is the camp that my mom runs, and I got Emma really into Buffy. And I think then I bought, because the internet wasn't good there, so I bought all of the DVDs. <laughs> and I remember, like, I think between season four and season five or something, like, I was waiting for the DVDs to get there. And Oh, you had to wait? Whoa. Yeah. By the yeah. time I was getting back into it, uh-huh. all the DVDs were already out. Well, no, I mean, and... I was just waiting for it to get delivered. Oh, okay. Just gotcha. delivered. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I got Emma really into it, my best friend Emma. Uh, and and so we got really obsessed. And then we, I think we watched, I think we watched all of Buffy. Or I may not have finished Buffy with her, but at some point we also started Angel. So I think... I think, yeah, I think I watched through, like, season five or six with Emma and, and through season three of Angel. Um, so I, I, I kind of watched it, like, as it would have been if, if I'd been watching it had, had I been watching it when they came out. Um, so, like, I think when we started, af- I think after we watched season four of Buffy, we watched season one of Angel or maybe vice versa. I can't remember. But anyway, so that was my experience with Buffy was fairly late, relatively late, but I was still, you know, I think I was, I think I was 18, 18 or 19. So still a teenager. And one of the things I wanted to talk about in this most recent rewatch, I feel like it it becomes clearer and clearer every time I rewatch it. But this most recent time, because, you know, now I'm 31. Um, Oh my God, so old. I know. I'm 34. I think at a certain point you just stop kind of. You stop saying your age. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but but this is is relevant. I'm almost dead anyway. Well, this is relevant. Now, but I'm just saying now that we're now that we're in our 30s, it's very weird the relationship between Buffy and Angel. Yeah, let's it's, let's go ahead and talk about all the all the vampiric uh yeah. things and how that's normalized and weird. And sexualized and like made to be attractive. But yeah, when so when I was seventeen I was like, yeah, sure, makes sense. I mean yeah now when I was 34, like, I'm like, this is when uh, I was like rapey, Yeah, right? exactly. When I was like eighteen or or nineteen whenever I was watching it, I was like Oh my God! What Angel's so dreamy. Spike's so hot. Oh, oh my God! Big leather coat. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> they're so dark. Hair. Yes. Um, and to be fair, I still think they're very attractive. Though they but, definitely are. But that, um, that hasn't changed. But but now I'm watching it. I'm like, Angel, you're like 200 something years old. She's. 
17. She's 16. Yeah. That's pedophilia, Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Half your age plus seven is 120. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is just creepy as fuck. It's really creepy. Well, I just really fell in love with this 16-year-old girl. Well, you know, so in the world I live in, that gets you... Uh, 12 years in prison and then five to life on probation yeah. or parole. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, that, that becomes more and more pronounced to me. Uh, every time we, <laughs> we watch it, I'm like, Angel, what are you doing? Um. I think it applies to Spike too. As definitely. Well, definitely. as you get older, you're like, oh. Hormones oh. don't overpower consent. Yeah. Like, you can desire yeah. something, but you need to respect people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. And Spike is a creepy ass rapist in right. most of season five and six. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean That now and now I'm not saying that people who do horrible things like that can't be redeemed. Well, yeah, That's and I like that I but, like that part of his story. What's yeah, but what's problematic about Spike is that he's so charming and so likable, and he's written that way, and he's supposed to be, while simultaneously in season five, becoming kind of this weird, creepy yeah. stalker. Building a sex uh, robot and yeah. having a shrine to her. Yeah, it's like, These so... are red flags akimbo. Yeah, and it's, and, and like, it's not not addressed in the show that what he's doing is is super creepy and problematic. However, the show itself doesn't seem to care all that much. Or that's that's well, I mean I, mean, I don't know if that's fair. I, I think there it's is that one episode in season six where like or I, I guess it's seeing red is the name of the episode where he tries to rape her. Yeah. And yeah. it's that I mean I thought that was dealt with really responsibly. Yeah, no but definitely. up until then they're talking about like these are hundred year old or multi-century-old creatures who are like, yeah, I'm really in love with this 16-year-old. Yeah, well, hey, at least at this point she's like 20-something, but but well, still. Yeah. But still. I mean, the, the point is it's really abusive, problematic behavior that the show kind of recognizes, but also kind of he's still fun while doing all of that and that i like yeah i guess i guess i don't know i i, it's, I don't know it's that i like that he's fun while being abusive i do think it's it's nice to see these kind of abusive characters mm-hmm. be three-dimensional yeah and yeah that's, that's you know true. that's my own bias showing through where i'm like you know you could have done some of the most horrible things as spike and angel have done and right. still be a complex human being. Yeah, and I do think that's what a lot but... of what of what they're about. But I, I, I feel like with Spike especially, he's always just portrayed as like, you know, sexy, and you wanna you wanna love him, you know, and and he's sexy and funny. So he's he's simultaneously he he he, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Spike. I love James Marsters. I love. Yeah, there's nothing against the actors. No, though, no, no, no. But I feel like I wish they hadn't gone in that direction with his character, or at least I don't know. I don't know. I I have complicated feelings about it. 
But so so uh, so we're jumping around a little bit, but well, we'll... So we've been talking so much about Spike. What about a wine pairing for Spike? Well, for Spike, I was thinking I was thinking Sangiovese is a good one for him. Because it's classic. always got to be blood. Yes, children. yes, yeah. He's always he's always talking about blood, and he's got this very uh, kind of. I don't want to say primal because I feel like that's a that's a problematic word um, that's also tossed around in the in the show a lot. But but he's kind of always got this like swagger to him, which Angel doesn't have. Angel doesn't have swagger. He's 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 got dark brooding. Yeah, his reserve. Yes. Um, and Angel gets to be so fun on Angel, but on Buffy itself, he's like. Mostly there to be eye candy, <laughs> and yeah. I also don't think he's that great a villain in season two. Maybe no, you could put a pin in that. Yeah, I, yeah, I no, I definitely want to talk about that in um in season two. Well, actually, okay, let's let's we'll we'll keep we'll keep going. But I I wanted to because this is something that we've talked about um, not on microphone, but I wanted to ask a few different questions. Um, and the first one is, uh, what is your favorite season? Of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Easily season three. I knew you were going to say that. Not even we, close. Because we had discussed it. I would say for me, it is close between season two and season three. Now, I think some of my favorite episodes are happen happen in later seasons for the most part. Um, right. The, like there's, the, there's good one-offs in yeah, most of the seasons. But I feel but. like season two and season three are the strongest, like... From beginning to end, having a having an arc, but also having great one-off episodes. Um, I I agree. I think those, or I think season three is the strongest. Again, the only re- the main reason why I uh, I would say season two over season three is that I do love uh, Spike and Drusilla early on, like in in season two. I love oh, yeah. them. I love them. But yeah, so so I mean, let's talk about season two a little bit. Okay. Um, I, I do agree um, because, you know, we just watched that episode at the beginning of episode seven where Spike is hallucinating all of the vil- the past villains. Right. And uh, and I do think, yes, like the one the main weakness of season two. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I might disagree with you. I, I like the angel turning bad kind of storyline. I think it's a little uh, like it's fun um and it's also you know devastating you feel that in in the episode where he turns evil right Um, when the one the one you really feel it in i think is where he kills miss calendar right yes i believe that one is called passion so so evil now i think that's i think that one is called passion yes that's a very powerful episode um as are i think the one uh, i forget if it's surprise I think it's surprise because it's the the two parter mm-hmm. about Buffy's birthday, where at the end of the first one they sleep together, and then in the and second one he loses, he's, his, soul, he loses yeah. his soul. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do think that yes, you know, as the villains go in Buffy, that show that that season is actually less about the villain and more about like Buffy learning and growing up and having to make really hard choices, which is fair. Is I mean I think it's a really solid season and it's yeah. a tight contender for for third place I think in my for mind. third place yeah what's second I think three six two really you like season six 
I do like season six for very complicated reasons. Yeah, well, I like it too. I mean, we just rewatched it, and it's 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 problematic, but it's meant to be. Is kind I think of in many thing. ways it's the harshest season, definitely. And I think it's also where the creators of the show are trying to reckon a little bit with themselves. And they don't necessarily do the best job. Yeah. There there are different reasons. I think season two is is a great contender because it talks about how people you love mm-hmm. can become that Can that, change. That yeah. anybody can be a monster, I think, yeah. is one of the strengths of Buffy throughout mm-hmm. the show. That, that yeah. It's basically like, yeah, uncles, brothers, boyfriends, everybody can be a monster. And it's about finding compassion yeah. up to up to a point. Right. Up to a point. Yeah. Um Yeah. I mean I we could probably spend a whole hour talking about the copaganda element. Oh of Buffy, yeah. Oh but yeah. I'm not gonna which get into not, that now. Which is not she as kills bad. Demons, it's fine. I would say the copaganda isn't as bad in um in Buffy as it is an angel. No. But. And as the show goes along, it gets more and more skeptical of government, which yes. I like. Yes. So here's what I wrote for um, a wine pairing for season two. All right. Um, I wrote, expanding, still fun, but some more dark themes. In my opinion, the most balanced season. I that That's my personal opinion, is that the the overarching story is the most balanced with kind of the the one-off creature feature episodes. I don't know. See, they do have some of the best creature features. I forget sometimes that, like, the swim team one, that's yeah, in season that's two. Yeah, that's season two. And... Which kind of feels like, it feels like a season one episode. Right. But, but... It's, a, it's very much a monster of the week kind of thing. Right. But so, um, so the wine that I, that I think best fits season two is an Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm. Um, because it's smooth. Willamette Valley. Yes, of course, the Willamette Valley. Um, it's smooth. It's it's you know it's got dark fruit to it, but it can be light. You know, it's all it's all kind of it's all kind of going on. So that's my season two uh, pairing. Word. So then season three, since we've also been talking about that, I feel like season two and season three are connected in in some ways because they're how so. Well, they just they just feel kind of similar to me in terms of in terms of I, th- I think it's because, you know, after season one where it's sort of, you know, as you said, it starts really strong, but it's still kind of figuring out what the show is and what it's kind of uh, what's the word? Not mission statement, but but something along those lines. It's it's kind of figuring that out still. And then in season two and season three is where where it becomes like really really strong, I think. And um and season three also has a very strong overar- overarching story to it. And um and I wrote I wrote the my wine pairing for for season three is Shannon Blanc, and I didn't have a reason. I just actually, like it. Actually, I, I, all right, let me attempt to justify that because okay. I think Chenin Blanc is a very, you know, again, it's got a little bit more of the chalk. It's, it's very drinkable. It's acidity. It's got high acidity yeah. to it. But and, it's... uh, I think one of the things about season three, uh, first of all, I define each season with the notable exception of season six mm-hmm. as a singular villain. 
Yes. So first season, you have the master. Second right. season, it's Angel, Spike, Drusilla, I guess, but really yeah, Angel. It's really Angel, yeah. And then the third season is the best villain of the entire series. Well, this series, was going to be my next question. The mayor. Yes. Um, I think we can all agree. My next question was going to be, who is your favorite villain on Buffy? It's and not it's, close. It's not close. The, the mayor is the best villain. And Absolutely. I can see the mayor drinking that at a fundraiser. Yes. You know? Well, Just a Sauvignon Blanc for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Um and well Shannon Blanc. But, Shannon Blanc. Oh yeah. just oh did I make a boo boo? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Maybe I've had a little too much milk today. I don't know. Well, so so yes, and but my one counter argument would be, I mean, the mayor is yes the 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 greater villain, but sort of in the way that Angel becomes a villain in season two, Faith becomes a villain in season three. Yeah, he's not and, alone. And it's, it's um, de- the Faith story is a big part of that. Season, it is, for sure. and I have to say, um, Faith, I like more and more the more I rewatch it. I think people give Eliza Dushku a hard time that she doesn't really deserve. Um, no, I think, I think she, she. I think she performed very well. I think she does. I think she does, and um, and it's a it's a great character. Even if I mean, even if you don't always love her, which that's the point. Um, yeah, she's supposed to be, you know, despicable at times, and she's never more despicable than in season four. But, but I think that's a really interesting question that the show raises, which is like, you know a different take on somebody having this kind of power. Um, well, and also, what is it like when you're an orphan yeah. to have somebody well, be no, a she's parent not... to you for the first time? Well, she's not really. an orphan. She talks about her mom, but she but she was... Um... But she's looking for father figures the whole time. She, or and she, when she she's finds the mayor, for... I mean, yeah. I think it's weird because it's, you know, it's evil, but I think their love is like a true and chaste and pretty love. And that's actually, I think that's what's so that's brilliant. That's what's scary about yeah, it. Yeah, well, and that's what's so brilliant about it, too, is that it is it is real. Like, the yeah. mayor loves her, and she yeah. loves him back. And, yeah. um <laughs> Growing girl like you needs a nice <laughs> glass of milk. You know, just, it's just yeah. horrifying. It's he is he's totally horrifying, but but also so so delightful. Yeah. And then you know, it's like the Joker and Mister Rogers he, at the same time, kind of. He reminds me the the closest. And I think we talked about this while we were watching season three, but he reminds me a, a little bit of Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, yeah. oh. who can be so charming and personable. Do you mind then, if I smoke my pipe as well? And then and. And then when he makes the switch to that total terrifying killer, it's really, really scary. So, so that's the closest that I can I can uh, draw a parallel. Um, also, well, I guess in season two, well, we haven't talked about Cordelia yet. Let's Cord- talk about charisma. Speaking, Carpenter, speaking who fucking of rules, by the way, people who get got treated badly um no joke yeah i i mean i I don't really want to get into all the stuff that's come out about joss whedon um i want to acknowledge it say it's there say he's a problematic person and a very problematic showrunner but the one thing i will say is how he treated charisma carpenter is unacceptable absolutely unacceptable and She's a fantastic character. Oh my god, she's so great. And and my understanding was, I don't know. I'm sure there is more going on, and there I don't know all the details. But basically, when she got pregnant during season four of Angel, he was so mad that she had done that. 
that he wrote her off the show. That's not that could be that could be a oversimpl that's probably an oversimplification of what happened, but Charisma Carpenter has come out and said that like she did not feel Maybe so, maybe well. not. That's not a human way to behave. No, it's not. And 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 what I will say is yes, this show is very important for raising up women in TV and and um and for showing, you know, powerful independent women, but to me it's very much feminism through the male gaze. Yeah. Um and Complete with red leather pants. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, you know, the fact that Sarah, and maybe this would be different if the show was made now, um, or if it was made by somebody else, but like, because this was definitely the case in most TV shows around the time, but, but just like every single woman on the show is so skinny, so skinny. And we don't need to get into that. And, uh, but I do want to acknowledge it that like there's there's a lot of body shaming on the show. Um, it's 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 really not as uh, as quote unquote feminist and uplifting of women as it claims to be. Now that being said, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yes, Cordelia Chase fantastic character and she's one i i hadn't come up with a pairing for so i'm curious what you think a good pairing for cordelia might be the i mean the thing that just sprang into my mind when you said that is dom perignon oh absolutely oh that's just, perfect just because, yeah you know she knows that it's that fancy and yeah. she deserves that level of fancy yeah not necessarily knowing why as well, I don't know necessarily why Dom Perignon or Bollinger or whatever. Well, is, all the is good all the main wines, all the main champagne houses. Yes, I, there's... I deserve top shelf. You know. But yeah, I think that's perfect because you know Cordelia starts out as like the rich, snotty, bratty one right. who's sort of begrudging. And I and I was reading an article and I I didn't think about this this way, but um, when Cordelia leaves Buffy to go to Angel. Spike kind of takes on her persona a little bit. Like, he's got a different... Oh, that's an interesting point. He's got a different personality, obviously, but he's kind of, like, once he becomes a non-threat, basically, to the gang, uh, he's similarly snarky and pointing out how ineffective and and, and silly, like, the the Scooby gang... And he's used to luxury and... Well, a little bit, yeah. I mean, but, but... you know, he sort of serves the role of like telling the Scooby Gang what's what a little bit, starting in well, season four, um, because Cordelia. What's so delightful about Cordelia is that you know she's she is part of the gang, but she still feels like a little outside yeah. of the game. And she's, it's not until Angel that she really becomes like yes. a, a team player. Yeah, and and while she's still the same character on Angel, her role is so different. She Her character grows so differently, and I think she does a great job, and I think her character's written really well until they write her off for right. no reason. But yeah, so so yeah, so I think I think Dom Perignon, I, she, she has to go from Dom Perignon to Cobb. <laughs> or Dom Perignon to two buck check. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's that's awesome. And but yes, season three is terrific. And it also has some really great episodes in it. Well, I think season three uh, the reason I think season three is so good mm-hmm. is because Partly the show is reckoning with Buffy growing up, mm-hmm. and I love they ha- that's when the prom episode is mm-hmm. where you know hyena people you know and they <laughs> they make her the class protector and it's amazing. Yeah, it's also when you get 
the first Dark Willow episode where she's the vampire. Well, you get Vampire Willow, which yeah, Vampire so Willow is my favorite. Yeah, they introduce <laughs> Anya, and, and that's like, right. A lot yep. of great things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Wish episode is great. But I think also what it really is is it's a it's like a growing up kind of thing, mm-hmm. and the mayor is the perfect villain for that where he's like oh okay i'm really nice right i'm also going to very legally kill you all well it's it's the first time that the show is uh making a point about corruption and authority in in a really i mean principal snyder is always there but in a consistent and there's that episode where he's like oh mr mayor I've done what you asked me to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's cool. But also yeah. I think he's the first, like, cheery, yeah. you know, well-rounded villain that you have in Yes, the show. and I think part of that is is how great the actor is who plays him. He's wonderful. He's um, also in a Star Trek episode called, called I think, Galaxy of Child. <laughs> he, also be, he also plays uh, Ted's stepdad on How I Met Your Mother. Um. <laughs> that is true, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a lot of How I Met Your Mother and Buffy crossovers, yeah. which I just realized is maybe at least partially because the the creators of both shows went to a little school called Wesleyan, <laughs> where I also went. Never heard um, of it. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'll stop. Wasn't a film major, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I agree. I think season three is a really great growing up season for all of the characters. Oh, yeah. Well, we get Oz starting in season two. Um, but Oz becomes really part of the gang yeah, in season Seth three. Green. And we yeah. also, I mean, we get Band Candy and the Halloween episode both in season three. No, the Halloween episode is in season two. Oh, that's the, two. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we get Band Candy. We get Band Yeah. Three. So we get really Ethan, Rain, Ethan Rain. The Ethan Rain episodes. Yeah. Um, and are so good. Um, well, I guess this leads me to my my other question, which is what if you if you had to pick a favorite episode of Buffy or or top top hits, what would you choose? You can think about that. I'm just putting that out there. Everybody think about it. Mull it over. Can I do a top five? Yes, you can do a top five. Okay. Um, so just so just keep that. I'll, we'll come back to that after we've talked about everything a little bit. Yep. But just keep that. Because part of part of what was so amazing about Buffy, I think, is yes, the, the, the writing and the overarching stories and everything are amazing, but it was one of the first shows that did did like genre episodes in like so well. While simultaneously pioneering a kind of new form of serial television. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Like it got to the point by season three, I think you really had to watch those previously ons to figure out what you did. And that's when I yeah. really started doing them. Yeah. Um, and there were less creature of the weeks, but the creature of the weeks they had were amazing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, as the show goes on more and more, they, they get integrated into the, yeah. into the story. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it was an amazing show. Let's let's not be let's not mince words. Uh, but so for me, I think okay. I'm gonna leave aside all the season finale and season starter episodes. Yeah, I think that's I'm just gonna put those off the I table. I think that's fair. I think there's amazing. There's, I mean, we could gush about those for hours, but yeah. I'm going to go with, the, like, the one-offs that I really like. Sounds good. And in no particular order, they're... The we music, are already doing it. Okay, The musical go for it. episode. Mm-hmm. Obviously. 
Hush. Obviously. The Band Candy episode. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. The and, Ethan Rain hits. Yep. And then, actually, I have to put up there the Buffy Hears Thoughts episodes Ooh. where she finds Jonathan and he's thinking about yeah, suicide. Yeah, that's a really good that's one. That's a really, really good episode. That's a really good episode. And it deals pretty honestly and seriously, contemporaneously, by the way. Yeah with children feeling so isolated that they want to hurt themselves or hurt other people. Right. And I think that's an amazing episode. I agree. So yeah. I think those are my top five. That's a that's a really solid that's a really solid bunch of episodes. I'm gonna have to think a Not really little surprising, bit surprising, but it's oh well, it's an honorary I mean, mention think... the one where Spike first shows up in season three at the magic yes. shop. And he wants to yes, uh, make Drusilla lo- love him I think that again, one's called Lover's Walk. Yeah, or Fool for Love or something like that. I think like it's that. Lover's Walk. Fool for Love is the one in season yeah. five. But yes, that's that that one's up there for me. I think I think you I mean, you know, the, obviously the the musical and hush are up untouchable. There, are, yeah. are untouchable. Um and speaking of hush, let's talk about season four. Because season four, let's I talk think about season four. I think season four is in many ways like uh, the most simultaneously incredibly enjoyable but also incredibly disappointing because I think the mistake of season four talking about villains is that they decided to make the villain this this weird you know Adam Adam, uh well it should just be the initiative well they the initiative should be right the villain and they are basically but like yeah they went with Frankenstein's monster as the villain yeah. instead of Dr. Frankenstein. Exactly. I think exactly. Maggie Walsh should have been the villain. They were I, setting her up to be the villain. And yeah. I don't know if she had something some else other to do or, or something. Whatever, or they but just... she should have been the big villain. Yeah. And that would have been incredible. It would have been incredible because like all of Adam's kind of philosophizing and and it it doesn't do much. It doesn't do much for well, it's me. It's just he doesn't have a frontal lobe. It's no. like a reptilian yeah. creature. He's yeah. like, oh, I, I enjoy seeing things die so I can study them. Right. Like it doesn't right. nothing about him is compelling. He has no yeah. other real goals except to I'm gonna remake the world into a demon hybrid master and right. like and there's no ideology there's no nothing but no. Maggie Walsh Professor Maggie Walsh has like a real right goal. right and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that she or the initiative itself have to be painted as like one dimensionally evil but we have to it's about dealing with the kind of god complex a little but that's bit that's what's so cool is and, you get that one episode where she's like tries to get Buffy killed. Yeah. And at the yeah. end of that, Adam kills her and we're and then, not even thinking about it anymore. Yeah, it's that that's that is why I would say Buffy season four as as an overall kind of arc is is disappointing. I think it's the weakest. Yes. But at the same time it at does have some time, of the best episodes. It has some episodes. of the best episodes. Yeah, like I mean obviously obviously Hush. It you know might not be technically my favorite but i think is one of the best episodes of television ever made what hush Um, yeah absolutely yeah um and there's a lot of other there's a lot of other like just really fun episodes in it like i know some people think beer bad is stupid but beer bad is i like beer bad you know it's silly the first one where spike has the chip and he yes uh, he can't bite willow oh my god like male impotence yeah it's very it's very funny Uh, Um, i'm sure it happens all the time yeah (laughs) (laughs) not to me yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) is it me 
very biteable. You're very biteable. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime they kind of put, I love Spike and Willow and I love Spike and Joyce. Like anytime you, you put Spike with like a sort of non-sexual object right. partner, he's so fun. And, and like his kind of sweetness comes out a little bit. But uh, Oh, I do want to interject one thing. Yes. I'm ready to talk about this whenever you feel like it. Okay. Dawn is just fine. Oh, well, Michelle that's season five. That's season five. Uh, I know We're it's season five. There, but... but Dawn is just fine. Michelle Trachtenberg is a great actress, and I will die on the hill that Dawn is totally fine and not at all a bad character, an annoying character. She does exactly what she's supposed to do, and she's acted well, and she's actually written pretty well considering the device. So come Okay, well, we'll come at you in just a minute, but, um, I mean, I personally am coming around to that opinion, too, but I wanted to give my pairing for season four, so actually this is one that we talked about before. So what I wrote about season four was there are also some amazing episodes, some really good questions raised, but ultimately not an interesting villain and has a disappointing finish. (laughs) Get what I did there? Like a finish of a one? I sure did. Um, So for this one, I gave that Pinot Grigio. (laughs) Because... I can see it. Because, because, I mean, there is really good Pinot Grigio out there, and Pinot Gris, the the kind of, it's the same grape, but what they call Pinot Grigio when it's made not in Italy. And, And I find that for whatever reason, I like Pinot Gris more than I like Pinot Grigios usually. Why is that? Um, I think it has to do a little bit with climate um, and also just the mass production of Pinot Grigio in Italy. Um, Pinot Grigio in Italy, it's kind of like Malbec in Argentina and um, you know Cabernet Sauvignon in California, where there's amazing ones, there's really good ones, but there's so much cheap cheap things produced for the sake of consistency that, you know, it's not that it's not that I like Pinot Gris more than Pinot Grigio. I think it's just it, there's so much Pinot Grigio coming out of Italy and not as much Pinot Gris coming out of other places. So the people who are making the Pinot Gris elsewhere are only making a little bit of it. And so they're kind of putting a little more care and attention into it, while Pinot Grigio is just kind of like a cash crop in, in Italy. That actually makes sense because my dad would like... They would do the vodka gimlet, mm-hmm. my dad, my stepmom, and then he would get like a bottle of Pinot Grigio. Yeah. But even with the markup, it was like it's $25 cheap. for it's a bottle. Cheap. Yeah. It's, you know? um, I mean, they're, so you it, seem like I said, cool because you're like, hey, bottle on the table. Right. Ice well, and everything, well, like I, well, like I said, like there's, there's obviously, there's, there's really good Pinot Grigios out there, but it does have a, a kind of reputation for being, cheap and while some people and and this is just a matter of taste i think more than a matter of like me telling you what's right but for me personally you know because it's sort of comparable to a new zealand sauvignon blanc that's mass produced um often but there's also really good ones but for me i just prefer sauvignon blanc as a as a grape than i do to pinot grigio because for me pinot grigio is we have a joke in the wine world that if you smell a wine and you don't smell anything, it's probably Pinot Grigio. <laughs> um, but that's unfair and not true. But but often, often the thing about Pinot Grigios and some Pinot Gris is that they're just kind of flabby and lacking in acidity. And so there's just kind of nothing at the end. Just grape juice. Yeah, yeah, but like bitter grape juice. 
And so um, that's sort of how I feel a little bit about season four, except that I do like, I personally love the last episode of season four. The dream one. The dream one. Let's talk about, let's talk about the dream episode. Yes, because that's. Because, I mean, that's, you know, convention in filmmaking. It is. At a certain point. It is, yes. And this one, particularly, its goal is to establish that they tapped into this, again, quote-unquote, primal force, um, which we learn at the end is the first Slayer. It's starting around this time in Buffy that it gets a little bit more into, like, the deeper questions and, like, the mystical meaning of what the Slayer is and what it means to have that kind of power, um, which is cool. Um, It's cool that it it tries to delve into that. Um, I think... I personally really like the dream episode because I like that kind of disjointed logic. Let me ask you a um, question, though. Sure. Have you ever seen either Giulietta Dispiriti, the Fellini dream movie, or no. the, I can't remember the name of it, but the Akira Kurosawa dream movie? No, I think I it's just called seen, Dreams. I haven't seen either of those. but it. I mean, it kind of reminds me. It's, it's a little sort of bit more... Fantasia. I would bet. I would is. bet that Joss Whedon knows those very well and probably drew from them. Oh, from, I'm sure. But um. But what do you like about them? Well, I like the kind of disjointed poetic logic of it, mm. um, which is, you know, I mean, it's over. It's overdone with like the guy with the cheese who shows up in all of their dreams. But there's there there is something very kind of beautiful about like you know willow's dream of of uh you know being in the play that she never rehearsed anybody who's been an actor has had that dream but i but also what i love what i love is is like they're putting on death of a salesman but it is not death of a salesman (laughs) and and riley oh we have to come back talk about riley um but riley harmony and buffy are all like in totally different like plays but they all come together and it's just like that kind of weird weird logic makes sense to me or not makes sense to me but i i enjoy watching things like that um i think i've talked about this before i forget in what context but um but i i read a lot of uh lorca federico garcia lorca in in college and blood wedding Blood Wedding and um, and his play Once Five Years Pass um, is all is kind of like that. It's a play that's basically a dream, um, or, but but what he calls it is poetic logic, where like things don't necessarily make sense from like in a in a linear way, but they make a kind of poetic logic, esoteric um, sense. Yeah, it's like an abstract painting or something like that. Yeah. And and I really enjoy that. And I really I enjoy things. It's it's like reading Faulkner, you know, which that's a different discussion. We don't need to get into that. But often Faulkner is very like you have to really like stick with it <laughs> to figure out what's going on. So so that's what I like about it. That's my and like Xander sort of having the apocalypse now dream uh, where Snyder is, uh, is, is, um, what's his face? Marlon Brando. And it's just, it's, it's this beautiful blend of kind of like beautiful and poignant, but also really funny. And then you've got like Giles and Spike on the swing set. And right. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. 
Yeah, I guess I you know I like I like that episode, but what I like more actually is the um, the haunted house episodes they do in season four. Yeah, I think yep. those are a little bit more like the one where they're at the frat house. Yeah, and and the vines are growing everywhere. Oh, see, I you you're like I scared, and people are going through walls and stuff. Like I don't in, know. I I definitely like the dream episode more, but. But right, I think those, but those I think are the strong. dream episode is a little less threatening. Well, yeah. Well, it's also it's it's truly a one-off because I mean, yes, there is a threat, but that's not really the point of the episode. Like the fact that the first slayer is like trying to kill them all in their sleep for tapping into their power, into her power rather. Um Though again, I wish that would come back. It's, yeah, it's I mean the first slayer it they, is. The first slayer comes back. I mean, they they bring her back, but um, but they don't. As we talked about, um, it seems like they kind of prematurely used this really really powerful spell that gave Buffy like the power to turn bullets into birds yeah. and, and then stuff. They were like, hey, and then let's fight a god, but also but not also do we that. can't do that again. And it's like. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, you're the planeteers. Come on, yeah. sit down. Yeah, heart, wood, fire, yeah. water, wind, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, just summon the first slayer. Yeah, and then it's you, it's sort of. I mean, she could have turned glory into a snake or something, or yeah. a pile of snakes. Yeah. Yep. But that I, that's. I, mean, I understand. Yeah, there but. there's certain you know inconsistencies that we can that we can uh, sort of dissect. Well, you're going to have to wait till next week for us to dissect more of these inconsistencies because I'm going to pause our conversation here. We'll pick it up next week where we'll finish discussing seasons five, six, and seven, and you'll hear more about why Winston loves Dawn and hates the Watcher's Council. And you'll get my personal top five episodes of Buffy. Till then, be safe and drink well. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw, and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Scherzarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.